boys and girls that time again. This time it is episode number, <clears throat> excuse me, episode number 39 of the Development Hell podcast. We have a, we're actually we're kind of doing this a little bit differently. Both Ed and I are actually physically in the same location um, today, and we're in uh, Sandy, Utah, which is just outside of Salt Lake City, and we're here for Ski PHP. So how's it going, Ed? It's going pretty good. Is this Sandy? Is that what we I believe this is actually Sandy, Utah. Okay. So right. um, we're just chillaxing in Ed's hotel room. Uh, Woo! And our boy Jamal at the front desk, a big shout-out to the guy at the front desk. Uh, he hooked us up with the shuttle driver, so he would take us over to In-N-Out Burger. Yep. And so we had some tasty burger. And uh, I, I actually got the burger protein style, which is wrapped in a nice, humongous piece of lettuce instead of the bun. And I got it, and I got the burger animal style as well, which I believe is with like onions and mustard and whatever their version of Thousand Islands dressing is. I think animal style. Animal style. Yeah, not is dog, that because not it's so doggy crazy? style, but animal style. I think it's because it's some crazy combination. Because hmm. for those who don't know about In and Out Burger, very tasty burger, but they have their not so secret secret menu where you can order things uh, that aren't on the menu, but they all know what they're supposed to be. Um, so this is the first time in a long time that we're doing this where, of course, we're both in the same room. I think maybe the last time we actually did it, we were both in the same place, was at PHP Tech when we did it. Yeah, because I don't think we didn't do one at True North, did we? No, we did not. You so were May, busy. Yeah, so May 2013, we did that. Right. Um, and so we also don't have anybody in IRC. It's just Ed and I talking. So we just thought... It's very yeah, lonely. <laughs> it is. Uh, and we were just watching Conan and Brian, and that was pretty good. We're going to cuddle later. <laughs> Spoon. Yep. That way I can just pretend Ed's my wife. And it'll all be good somehow. Pretend. Uh, so we decided we wanted to do a kind of conference-themed um, podcast tonight. Since Ed and I have gone to a lot of um, conferences and we're just going to, I don't know, we do what we normally do. We'll start talking about stuff. We always end up going down some weird alley where, like, I had a story I wanted to share with Ed about one of the problems with having Sasquatch sized feet, but mm-hmm. we can we can get to that a little bit later. So we're here for Ski PHP. This is the very first time um, they're doing this conference. And a shout out to our boy Justin Carmody and the guy with the coolest name H. 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 I asked him. There's a guy here who's helping organize the conference. H. Hadfield or Hadfield? I can't remember exactly. It's Hadfield. Is it Hadfield? Maybe it's Hadfield. So I said, what's the the deal with your name? Is it like just initially? He's like, no, his first name was actually H. And then that got us into an interesting conversation about H.H. Holmes, uh, who was one of America's earliest serial killers, is that his name? Yeah. The murder house. So tell us before we start about conference stuff, tell tell the story about the murder house. Yeah, yeah. It falls right into it. No, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes is this, this interesting dude. I mean, interesting if you are interested in serial killers, I guess. Um, I find it interesting. Um, uh, he, I guess what he's most famous for is he constructed this big murder house kind of hotel thing where he built it in Chicago, um, and it was open for the World's Fair so people could stay there. Like in like a it was rented out rooms like a hotel, and then but he had all these systems of like traps and like trap doors and like they fall down and go into the basement and he he, it was just pretty pretty serious stuff. So I think there's some people who think that he may have killed up to two hundred people. Wow, that many? Because I I do remember reading something about it because when we were talking about it, it it sounded kind of familiar. But two hundred people—that's 
I mean, they yeah. would never know exactly the numbers, right? No, no. I mean, you know, <clears throat> who knows? Um, but uh, but yeah, he had this whole thing constructed. And he didn't. They didn't catch him. They caught him for something else that was in Indiana. I remember there was some. I think it was some domestic thing where he married somebody and then was having an affair with his sister or something. I can't remember. And I have to go look it up. But um, yeah, uh, it, it, pretty interesting stuff. So if you're into that sort of thing, I guess, and I sort of am. Um, and what was there was a book that actually H uh, Hatfield uh, recommended to us. It was like White Devil in the White City or something. I think. Yeah, something like that. I'm gonna look it up while you talk while I'm typing this into <laughs> Google. So while he's, uh, while Ed is looking this up, let's. I want to yes. thank our sponsors, uh, the wonderful folks at Engine Yard, purveyors of uh, awesome platform as a service. If you uh, want to run PHP stuff, and I believe they also handle JavaScript and probably some Python and maybe some. And of course, Ruby was one of their earlier earlier offerings. If you want to run that stuff in a little, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in an awesome little sandbox that is scalable, check those out. And also, uh, shout out to Paul Reinheimer and his partner Will. Um, from the Wonder Networks, who, when we do broadcast things live, they very generously provide the bandwidth for that. You were pointing at me. What is it, Ed? Oh, yeah, they're not doing Python yet, but I think they intend to. Oh, I thought they were. Well, yeah, I know. You'd think they're gonna get. I know. I, the time I know right on top of it. For sure, it's for sure. They're doing Node and they're doing Ruby and they're doing PHP because our our awesome friends at Orchestra, um, their PHP stuff got got. It's no longer separate. It's actually just considered part of. The engineering platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so conferences. <clears throat> Sorry, Ed, I guess I shouldn't have had all my milkshakes so quickly. Yeah, come on, dude. Um, be a pro. Yeah, be a pro. Um, conferences. Like, I, I realize this is my tenth calendar year of going to conferences. My first conference I ever went to was in two thousand and four, back when the folks uh, Marco Tabini and those guys they actually ran a PHP conference in Toronto. Um, Disgusting. Yeah, I know. Right near uh, uh, Yorkdale, which is this big, humongous um, shopping mall. That's now like this super high-end shopping mall. Like a lot of really high-end stores are in there now. I remember when it wasn't so high-end there because my grandmother lived close to there. So I remember when they had like kind of lower-end stores. But now it's like all super high-end stuff. Gucci. So what's, su- and, what's super high-end there? Well, like Gucci, Coach. Like think of a high premium. Is it all like Gucci flannel and denim? Like <laughs> up there? Is that it? No. No, no, because we aspire to those big American brands too, Ed. It's like a, a jeans jacket with a Coco <laughs> Chanel logo on the back. Oh, you missed it. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, people here would miss it. But um, I, for some reason, I was having a hard time with the seatbelt in the. Uh, oh yeah. So Ed was giving me a hard time, and of course, I blame it on the fact that I'm used to metric seatbelts, and these Imperial ones always throw mm-hmm. me off. That's you know you're just used to a certain kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I should have kept the drink because I'm going to be clearing my throat all the goddamn time. Yeah, yeah, we don't have a cough button. What are yeah. we thinking? God damn it. You'll edit it all out in post. Oh, <laughs> no, no. I used to, like, when I used to do more, I didn't, you know, before I did this podcast, I did other editing for some other podcasts and things like that. And I used to try harder to edit that stuff out. And it's, it's not worth it because <laughs> you'll spend, like, three hours doing it. And, well, normally yeah. what I do when I'm at home and I have to cough or do something, I actually press the mute button on my mic, but I don't think I, I can't do that because we're doing this old school. I'm recording my part on my laptop, and Ed is recording his part on his laptop. Yeah, I hope and, it records. Yeah, it looks like not, it's recording. Yeah, it looks like it's recording 
for me too. And we're not quite spooning, but we're pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. Pretty close. Um, there's supposed to be some kind of application for OS X uh, that is like a talk. That's like a press button to speak. Yeah, I was a little late to install that while we're rocking. I know we just we'd probably have, a little late to, stop to do the that recording. Everything. So let's just keep going. So yeah, so that first experience uh, back in 2004 uh, of going to the conference, I remember um, Rasmus Lardorf was there. And he was doing his uh, his talks, which, which I find I always find Rasmus's talks interesting. I don't know how many other people do, but because he always do he always does always does these state of PHP talks, mm-hmm. um, which I think shows that that uh, I think more than any other language, a lot of what happens to PHP is driven by what Rasmus personally finds um, interesting. I mean, I know there are way more contributors um, mm-hmm. to the PHP language than Rasmus, but so much of it, you can, you can see that after all these years, he still has enthusiasm for working on the project. You know, like it seems like he's not tired of it. He's not distancing himself. He's not, uh, he's not like just going into, well, I'm just kind of steering things mode and all like he's in there, um, doing stuff that he finds, um, interesting and, and worth doing, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Cause I, I wonder what, what that's like with some of the other um, more mainstream um, scripting languages, like Matt's, who does Ruby. Like, <clears throat> and as far as I can tell, he's still in there doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And for Python, I don't know what Guido Van Rossum's um, involvement still is. I know he's the benevolent, benevolent dictator for life of Python. But again, I, I often wonder how much those guys are actually driving things. And it seems to me that PHP, uh, even more lately, has done a very good job of, of setting up a process where a very large number of people have a say mm-hmm. in what happens. This whole RFC thing that they've done the past couple of years, I think, has done a very good job of making um, people who want to contribute to the language feel like their contributions w- will be noticed. Like we have this new, um, I, never, I don't even know how to pronounce, variatic. Did you see that? I don't know how much you follow PHP internals much. I think I did see something about it, but I can't remember. Yeah, what very variatic parameters. Parameters, parameters. Yeah. Right. So the idea that you can pass in, you can tell it. You, can, I think it's like a way of defining things by saying this parameter could be more than one thing being passed in. So it'll at runtime, it takes a look and says, "Oh, you're passing three things in." So we know we have an array with three things in it type of thing. I, I, I know I'm probably paraphrasing or I'm probably really badly butchering it, but it strikes me as, as something like that where the language is figuring out. In many ways, you know what it reminds me of, Ed? The whole, um, from your Python experience, the KWRGs. Yeah, thing. it's the same kind of thing. It's the same I mean, kind of thing. I just don't know the problem. So there's, and there's, there's not just, there's keyword arguments. Yes. that, And then there's also just star args. Yes. Too. So... Um, this looks like it's an attempt to... Um, yeah, but, so I'm looking at it and reminding myself the variadic parameters for a, for a function is when it the function can take more than... it One or more, <laughs> basically you're saying, it could take... It takes at least this many, but it could take more than this. Right. Um, so, uh, and I think that's... I personally think that's useful. Um and I would find that appealing. Uh, that would be nice. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I, I could see that. I, and it does seem like lately there's some more interesting uh, you know, stuff kind of coming down the pike in terms of uh, 
new ideas for the, you know, new features for the language, and I think that's cool. Um, uh, so, uh, yes, I think they've done a pretty good job of getting that in, 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 a, in, in gear. So it's like the, the process around it, I think, is, 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 uh, is, is more defined and seems like it's going a little more smoothly. Yeah, and it provides people with a way to at least, if not, their idea might not necessarily get accepted, but there is now an established procedure that if you have a, a feature for the language you would like to see implemented, there is now a mechanism for you to get that presented and placed in front of a bunch of people. And then the people who have voting privileges can vote. And if the whatever the required majority votes, then then uh, people can start working on it. So in that way, at least there's a little bit of transparency behind. Uh, you know, you can see who voted for th- who voted for a proposal and who didn't. Right. So. So to get back to the conference thing, so I highly recommend if you are at a conference where Rasmus is speaking, um, I know there's an old joke about people who joked about getting Rasmus, that if they were at a, <laughs> at a conference and Rasmus was speaking at the same time as they were, everybody was going to go see Rasmus. Um, that's why you always make Rasmus your keynote and you put nobody up yeah, right. against them. Because I I don't know if he think, considers himself a good speaker, but... I have come away from every single one of his talks having learned something and more importantly, having understood some of the thought process behind why certain things are being done. Because I think Rasmus also does a very good job of explaining why certain features were implemented and watching it's, it's, I find it kind of interesting to watch how Rasmus builds things using PHP because he uses PHP in a very different uh, it fulfills a very different role for him than I think it does for most PHP developers. Because I see him as he still, last I saw, he's still kind of building things like the way he did at Yahoo, where PHP is a front end where you're mm-hmm. actually talking to like things written in another language, usually C++ or something like that. So he's still, he's still using PHP, like how PHP was essentially a wrapper collecting a bunch of Perl stuff that he had been working on. Now he's still using PHP as a wrapper around lower level system things. So he's still writing extensions and by, and little application servers and other things that run at the system level and they're written in whatever language he thinks it's better suited to. He doesn't try to use PHP to solve, um, to, to solve every single problem. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of interesting because most p- developers who use PHP are using PHP to solve um, all their problems, you know, like oh, yeah. pure yeah. PHP, <clears throat> excuse me, everywhere. So I think the skill level required to use PHP just as wrappers around stuff is a little bit higher than what, I mean, I could never do. I, I couldn't write any extensions or anything like that. So I would be stuck with a um, pure PHP solutions for stuff. But I just, I just, I find it interesting to watch how he uses PHP because it kind of gives you a, a clue as to why PHP is the way that it is. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I I would agree with you entirely about that. Uh, I think that um, I think it's always interesting to see him talk and show kind of the way that he he's put together things or, or tends to work and how he tends to structure stuff. And I think it's really interesting to uh, uh, well to see that. And and I, I agree that it is often very different than the uh, way that you ex- that seems like the popular way to do PHP work, uh, and um, you know that's not that's you know neither good nor bad. And I think that you know he certainly has opinions about how he puts stuff together and why he puts it together that way. 
But I think it is very telling that um, he uh, tolerates the language going in a direction that he maybe personally is not particularly interested in. And that, I think, says a lot about what the you know, character and culture of, of, of PHP is, uh, like we've said many times, you know. So um, I, think that, uh, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why it's so successful. I agree. So what was the, so like I said, first programming conference I went to was 2004. What's the first programming conference you went to? The first one I went to was PHP Tech in Chicago. I'm pretty sure. Mm, boy, I'm not sure about that. Actually, I think it was OzCon. I think I went to OzCon first. And it was in, uh, so I'm not sure which one I went to first. Was Tech or Oscon? I so can't what remember. Year, what year? Do you remember? I think. Gosh, that was a good question. Um, that might have been two thousand four. Yeah, or five. About the same time. I, I have to look at that. That's crazy. Um, no, I, no, I'm struggling to remember the first time I spoke at. I'm spoke at a conference. I'm pretty sure. I know for sure I spoke in 2008 at a conference. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if 2007 was the first time, because I'm, I'm literally trying to remember the first time I ever spoke at a conference. It must be 2007 or 2008. So that's almost six, I mean, you know, five and a half, six years ago, which is like, of course, ancient in Internet times. Um, it's got to be one of those two. I'm wondering if, I'm thinking if, PHP Quebec, which became the conference, which I won't speak its name on my podcast, turned into that. Ah, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke the, that was 2009. So I think maybe 2008 was the first time I ever spoke at one. Right. Um, yeah. So what about you, Ed? First time you spoke at one? About that same time period? Yeah, it might have been about a year into that. So the thing that I, I worked on was this project called PHP Info. And, um, which is actually, you know, you know, did, did you get the cards that, uh, Ed, uh, that, uh, Cal? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, people, yeah. Tell them the story. No, it wasn't PHP. It was PHP sec info. Yeah. PHP sec. And when did those came? I can't remember exactly when. So a while ago, Cal Evans, uh, icon of the community, as we all like to tease him, he did a, he organized for one of the conferences as a giveaway, a set of playing cards. So all the people who were kind of well known within the, PHP community at that time all got playing cards mm -hmm. and it's so I found I have Ed's card um, I had it somewhere so I found it and I took a picture of it and Cal was like uh, Cal Evans was like hey I still have these cards kicking around um, I was like yeah. yeah I wish I could find my deck I know my that deck of cards is somewhere so Cal ended up sending both Ed and I copies of the card so I have my card and Ed's card and Ed has his has our pair too and it's um it's kind of funny even back then I was labeling myself as grumpy so that's so that's uh, been a concept for quite a while um it's interesting though when I think of some of the people who are in that in that set um a lot of them I didn't need, a lot of them I didn't know back then at all some of them are still active and some of them are gone the mm -hmm. one who the one who I wish was still around and speaking at conferences was Terry Che yeah, um, just I mean, he works at Wikipedia now, I believe, mm -hmm. but uh, um, I think he basically doesn't blog, or if he does tweet, maybe it's Twitter. I I used to follow him. I think I still follow him. I don't remember unfollowing him. 
Maybe he's just dropped out of sight and doesn't talk about programming stuff anymore. Could be. Right. Because Terry was very famous for dropping the F-bombs um, <laughs> and being very angry in his talks. Yes, exactly. Because uh, last time I saw him speak was at a PHP community conference in Nashville. What was that, at 2011? Was that the first time you saw him speak? No, no, I've seen him talk before. That's the last, last time, time I saw him speak. speak. I think that may have been, yeah. And I, you know what? I saw him, uh, I think he was at Brooklyn Beta. Was he at the last Brooklyn Beta? I think he might have been. But, um, yeah, I think he just kind of got a, I think he got a speaking. He just hadn't, hadn't been doing that as much. So, uh, so yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, that, I, I miss seeing him speak. Uh, but you know what? I think I can kind of understand. Sometimes you get out of, like maybe he felt like he was kind of had said what he wanted to say and didn't feel like he. Yeah, because I'm starting to feel that me. way too about like I was telling people here that uh, if you come to ski PHP, this is the last time in a uh, theater style setting that I'm giving my building testable applications talk because this is this is actually the twelfth time that I've given this talk at a you know <clears throat> I've done it over the past couple of years at multiple conferences and. Um, that's enough. I'm sick about talking about this um, particular topic. Uh, well, okay, not the topic of testing necessarily, but in this format. Um, and I have other ideas that I want to want to spread and start talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the thing I think about too. Ed, at some point, it's like how, like, at some point, am I going to get sick of talking? Like, here's the thing, I. Uh, um, I find going to the conference enjoyable, going to these things. I like going to these things because mm -hmm. um, it's a break. I, I think for me it's a little bit different because I work from home. Mm -hmm. So I go to these things as a, as a little bit of an escape to mm -hmm. get away because I'm at home constantly. That's one of the things I find is kind of weird working from home. I find I never feel like I'm, I'm stopping working because even when I'm home, right. I'm in my office doing stuff, not work really, but I just feel like, I'm always at the office. Yep. So these things that's why my that's why I enjoy my little trips to Buffalo these days because it's yep. a way to get it's a way to get out of the house. So I, I so the funny thing is I like going to these things and I find that giving a talk um, causes me no stress. I don't worry about giving a talk, I don't worry about preparing the talk anymore. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I feel at some point um, I'm going to I don't know, lose interest in speaking and just f find a way to go to the conference without having to pay for it out of my pocket. Maybe I can get like a speaker emeritus status at some conferences. Yeah. They can pay for me to come, but I'm not going to speak. Yeah, right. But you, yeah, you I'm know, sure you know, they'll be up for that. Yeah, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like at some point it's like <laughs> I enjoy going to these things, so I find the social aspect and seeing people that I might only see once or twice a year uh, to run into them at the conferences. They meet new friends and and. Uh, get old friendships um, yeah. up and running again, but just uh, at some point, especially for programming, um, unless you know, unless you yourself in your day job are are really doing a wide variety of things, yeah. Um, I think at some point you actually run out of things uh, new to talk about, just because like you, most people talk about some area of expertise that they have, mm -hmm. and right. uh, unless you always get a chance to to work on different stuff and do new things. At some point you are going to kind of run out of things to talk about. I mean, like what am I going to talk about if I don't talk about testing anymore? It's going to be right. It kind of weird. Like I said, I have other ideas, but 
those things have to be fleshed out. And some of those things I don't get a chance to do much in my day job, so it's, I have to work extra hard outside of the day job um, to come up with an idea for a talk. Because I imagine even as awesome I am as a speaker, some people are going to get sick of hearing me talk about why they need to test their applications. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... I think there's probably a lot of stuff to mine out of that topic itself, but I do know what you mean. Um, and I, a lot of times if it's just like, well, I've talked a lot about certain PHP stuff and maybe I'm doing stuff in other sort of languages or areas of things like that. Sometimes that can work out okay, but um, like at most JavaScript conferences, I don't really feel like I'd be qualified to speak at them because I don't... I. I I think there's probably people who are a lot smarter and do more stuff with than I do. Or certainly Python. I mean, the same kind of way. I mean, I, I would not go and give a technical talk on Python. Uh, I can do some stuff in Python. I've built some things in Python, but I, I don't feel like I have any great insight into something that anybody else would have, you know. Um, and I, I, maybe I could help on a certain level, but I don't think that I would qualify as a speaker on that, that kind of an area. I think there's much smarter people who could give good, better technical talks on those kinds of things. But I think that, you know, in my case, what I ended up doing was also I was sort of less, and found myself less and less interested in, um, you know, I do, I do find it interesting in the sense that I like and enjoy doing programming and the challenges involved in that and things like that. But I'm less and less interested in talking a bunch about that it's to me it's more of a practical like oh i would i would like i like helping people along and if i can but that's not stuff that really gets me super excited in the same way it used to in the same way i was like boy i'm really pumped about like say you know i think coding now is a great framework and i think you guys ought to try it out or I'm really excited about, you know, show you how you can, you know, build uh, applica desktop applications with JavaScript and web runtimes and things like that. Like, those were some things I was really excited about. And now, I maybe it's just me getting older, but I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, there's cool stuff there. That is neat. <laughs> but for me, it's been, it's been very much a... Uh, I think it's very much been the case that I've become a lot more passionate about things that are non-technical but I think still relate to the way we do things but I think they're not they're not stuff about technology yeah I, I often feel too that as as my role where I work changes as I find myself doing certain things the interests go along with it too like these days the thing I'm big about is is um, starting to get more interested in learning how to build um, easily scalable architectures and right. looking at, uh, especially with all the stuff that I've been fooling around with on my screencast where I'm using uh, components now mm -hmm. to build things and at work, how we try to build things with components. So my interest change and, and, and like with the closing talk that I'm doing at ski PHP on, on um, Saturday, um, try moving more higher level and trying to get across the concepts that I think um, people need to understand because like I said, it's one thing to sit there and say, here's how you write a test. It's another thing to say, here's all the shit that you have to learn about right. if you want to start writing tests. And mm -hmm. I'm starting to think those kind of, uh, more and more I find myself looking at and saying, what was I not taught by the people that I worked with mm -hmm. and that I taught myself 
you know, what, what, what are the things I had to teach myself in order to get better at my job mm -hmm. and wanting to try to impart some of that wisdom on other people? Um, because a lot of it is out of pure self-interest. Like, I want to work with smarter people. I want to, yeah, I want right. to work with people who I don't, if I say to them, you know, do you write unit tests? And they say, what's a unit test? That my reaction is no longer to flip a table and mute my mic uh, and go and calm down for five minutes afterwards. It's like, it's like, oh, you don't know what that is? Here, I want to show you right. and try to make you understand why, um, why I think these things are good. So, uh, you know, interests change to it. And, and I think, like you're saying, as we get older, some of it is getting older. Some of it is because some of the things that used to be exciting is just stuff that we do yeah. without thinking about it anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, it, I think for both you and I, it gets harder and harder to find things directly programming related that um flip that uh enthusiasm bit you know what i yeah. mean like to say mm -hmm. oh this is really interesting um you know like for me the latest thing is although I, I it's on my list of things to do because i have a whole bunch of screencasts to record first but the hip-hop virtual machine H hhvm stuff mm -hmm. and the hack thing that's laid over top of it to help us do this interesting gradual typing thing which i think has great applications to older code bases, not not necessarily newer ones, things like that um, I'm finding interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a shame that I had to sign an NDA, so I can't talk about any of it. But, you better keep your mouth shut. Um, but, so, but I want to thank Sarah for getting me in touch with the right people at Facebook so I can see something that you can't see. <laughs> so, what were, so what were we talking about? Yes, okay. So... Um, yeah, so at some point, I don't know, Ed, at some point it may just be that I'm going to want to go to the conference to hang out with my friends, and I'm not going to care whether I speak. And for me, that's weird because I generally only go to conferences mm -hmm. where I'm speaking um, because despite me joking about being uh, an A-list internet celebrity, mm -hmm. um, I still feel weird about asking my employer to pay for a conference where I'm not um, talking at. I find that's a harder sell because it's very easy for me to say to my employer, I've been invited to speak. So you're only going to have to cover like a couple of my meals instead of saying, yeah, I want to go to this conference and it's going to cost you $1,500 in flights and hotel and meals for me to go as opposed to telling them it's going to cost $200. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I find that kind of weird. What's uh, what's fictive kin like for letting you guys go to conferences? Um, as long as it doesn't like you don't go to tons that interfere with work. You can go to all the conferences you want to, I guess. Um, like reimbursement-wise? Oh, no. Are, no, you're paying out of pocket to yeah. go? Fair enough. Uh, and that's uh, and that's fine. Well, I think, that's more, I think right. that's more just a function of, like, where Fictive Kin is at in its development and oh, its yeah. business practice. Like, right. Like, yeah. I, like, I work for, we were talking about this, I mean, Cinecor is, like, 350, 400 people. So yeah, that's they, they can afford to pay uh, some other people who want to go to conferences. I mean... Lord knows uh, a, lot, a bunch of the executives and marketing people and other things like that, higher-level guys, are at conferences all the time. Every week I see updates on they send out e emails about mm -hmm. Cinecore uh, in the news, and it's always talking about this guy was at this conference speaking and this guy was at this other thing and this right. guy attended this thing and was on this panel. So that's kind of cool to see uh, if, you're, if you get interested in what the company that you work for does at a business level that yep. Cinecore is actually quite open internally about where the people have been going and and also I think more importantly to help people understand what's going on, what's the implication of them having gone 
to speak at that conference. Why were they there? What was the focus? So they can kind of see who was talking about what. If, because, yep. I mean, I do kind of like to know what the company I work for actually does and opportunities that may be not, – not that I'm like some guy who jumps from team to team and looking for stuff like that because that's not my thing, but it's kind yeah. of interesting to see these these panels and other things are like business objectives that are like maybe a year or two down the road. So right. I've been there for a year. I've seen some of those things come to fruition that they were talking about when I first started there, which was um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Very, a very different thing for me um, to work at a place where I've decided that – I mean, I've worked at other places where it's like at the business level I was kind of interested in what they're doing. But many times, I mean, I've worked at a place like I – they could have been selling anything and it didn't bother me. I was just working on stuff and the paychecks didn't bounce and I didn't concern myself. I didn't concern myself all too much with how they were actually bringing in the money, um, bringing in the money to pay for everybody. And yeah, you found out it was child slavery. That's what happens when you outsource, man. Yeah. I think we all know the dangers of that. I was trying to look back when I was trying to look back and find like the what was the first conference I went to, and it was Osgon in two thousand four. Well, there you go. But I also found a a, a post uh, that I I posted up here in April of two thousand four uh, about when my new iBook was like shipped to me. Nice, right? So it was one of those iBooks with a twelve inch uh, screen. Do you remember that? It was like a square. It was. A, the, the square iBook that had a 12-inch screen. A 1 gigahertz, I guess probably G4. Uh, That's about the time I got my first Mac. Yeah, right. I got a MacBook, a 13-inch one. It uh, had a, uh, a, a 768 megabytes of RAM, a 40-gig hard drive, and a combo drive. I remember that. If you remember, that would play DVDs. Yep. But it would only burn CDs. Correct. Yep. And an airport extreme card in it. And that was about $1,300. Back then. Back then, yep. It's funny how the price of the Max hasn't changed too much, but you get no, but that, you get a lot more now for the money. It's interesting. I think that is on purpose. Probably. I think they target a price point and then fit whatever can fit in that. That totally makes sense. Um Yes, I think that is that is entirely on purpose. Uh, but that just made me nostalgic. Yeah, that's about the same time period, I think, too, because the house that we're in now, we're going to be have been there 10 years this summer, and I got my first MacBook with the proceeds from when we sold our old house. I took some of that money and, right. and bought a MacBook. So about the same time frame, 13-inch yep, white MacBook, the same thing. Uh, I think I had a gig of memory, not the 768. Yeah. I think I had a gig. That was poor. And probably same, probably same size hard drive and yeah. the and the combo drive in it. And that thing eventually, that thing eventually died. Yeah. The screen went and some other stuff went, and then I got a couple of different MacBooks. An employer that I had uh, bought me one, like they bought one for me, and then deducted money off of my paycheck until it was all paid off. That's yeah. when I was working for the sports data place um yeah it's about that time from 2004 our like our careers kind of parallel each other in terms of like when we mm -hmm. first started doing um certain things it's kind of weird it is kind of weird do, do you have like half of an amulet 
then I have the other half of that amulet. <laughs> I didn't put it in with what it turns out. What is that from? I don't know. I, I've seen, I think it's not just one story, but there's probably some more famous story about it. Is turns it really out, we both have tattoos that we got as kids, and if we line them up, they're going to form right, one image? Right. <laughs> like these, this, this uh, boy and girl fall in love, and yeah. it turns out that they're brother and sister. Oh, a little yeah, Star right. Wars flashback there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, oh, man, it's crazy looking back through this stuff. Um, My oldest blog poster, yeah. 2005. I had a blog before then, but none of those posts survived. I Yeah, I 2000, January 11th, 2003. Oh, that's your oldest one? Wow. Well, I've had my domain, littleheart.net, since 1998. Yep. Um, and I did a whole bunch of different blogs between now and then, but the stuff I have now at the keyboard was started in 2005. So that's almost nine years of blog posts. And again, slow down with the blogging because Twitter – Takes handles a lot. I think Twitter siphons off a lot of the stuff that I would have um, blogged about. Yeah. Um, and plus, then some of that energy also went into doing two books and now doing screencasts. So um, it's interesting. I, I don't think my blog will ever go away. I'll keep it up there just as archival because I'm pretty sure people are going back and looking at things I posted up there. Um, luckily there's dates on them so they can figure out how oh my god look at all those posts I know. what you guys can't see is I'm watching Ed scroll um, on his yeah. uh, MacBook there and he must have about a hojillion yeah. blog posts yep. that's a lot of crap so conferences oh yeah I've heard of those yeah I've heard of those <laughs> yeah it's you know I uh like is there a point at which you feel like you're not going to get, like, is there a point at which you feel like you're not going to get much out of conferences anymore? I think it depends like, which like, conferences you go to. I mean, I mean, what, I guess it depends on what you get out of it. And there's, there's what you get out of it as an attendee, and there's what you get out of it as a speaker. So let's talk about what you feel like you get out of a conference as a speaker. And let's talk. And, yeah, and, that's what and, I know better. And, and, yeah, that's I'm funny because there's so few conferences I've been to just as an, as an att uh, attendee. Right. Um, and we're talking about what we get out of it, obviously beyond the fact that most conferences um, are footing the bill for the speaker uh, to come. Like I know for True North, mm -hmm. and most conferences do the same thing. They'll pay for the flight, they'll put you up in the hotel, right. and of course you get to attend the conference for free. Yeah. Um, and there's usually a few other perks that go with it um, as well. Various things. Sometimes sometimes the speakers get swag. Sometimes there's a – I know at, at True North we have a nice speaker's dinner. Yeah. Um, the night before the conference we take all the well, speakers out. Well, nice. You know. Well, you didn't like it? Yeah, I liked it. I was just messing with it. We went to a nice, a nice Italian restaurant. It was a nice Italian Actually, restaurant. It was, it was pretty good food. Yeah. Um, so as speakers – what do you feel as a speaker beyond the compensation part? What it, what do you feel like you get out of it by going and speaking? So what I feel like I get out of it is I really like being able to uh, help people um, uh, learn new things and think about new things and stuff like that. So for a long time that was sort of technically oriented and I enjoyed that. And I think that um, I think that also helped me, although it wasn't intentional. I think it helped me career-wise too a lot. Um, nowadays, I suspect it probably helps in that same way. But 
I really like being able to go and talk about uh, things that maybe people aren't thinking about so much, in, especially maybe within the tech community. And so the stuff I've done about mental illness and, and uh, things of that nature. I think there's like, for me, that's what I'm excited about because I think there's a big, there's a whole lot of work to do there to raise awareness about that stuff. And so being able to talk about that, I think is, that's really, that's exciting to me to get people to think about stuff they haven't thought about maybe before or to make people feel who maybe have struggled with this stuff uh, to feel like they're not alone with it, right? Um, so what's exciting to me now is, is that feeling like I have opportunities to help make people's lives better and, and maybe help them learn how to be uh, happier people in the, uh, in the, you know, the scheme, whole scheme of things. And, and I think that because I've, I, I'm ta I talk about it in the context of, uh, that they can relate to as a developer, and I think that's useful. I think it, and so I think it's more, I think people tend to listen more when they're like, well, this is another guy who's a developer uh, who, you know, it's, so they're, on some level I can relate to that, <laughs> like what a lot of his experiences are. Um, uh, so for me, I enjoy those aspects a lot. Um, but all in all, it's really, it's the reason why I participate in, I guess you'd say, open source culture and, 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 and processes and like why I started an open source group at, you know, where I live um, is because I like talking about this stuff and sharing things that I've learned and learning from other people, this sort of collaborative learning process. And that's, that's really exciting to me. It, it's... It's having an opportunity to, ha to have an impact on your community, wherever that community is. That you know, I, so I, you know, I'm in a couple different communities. I'm in the community of my local, you know, city, and I'm in the community of uh, some PHP developers. I'm in a couple of their sort of, I guess, communities are related around things like people are sort of around fictive kin stuff, and you know, toss into different things. People we know from those different areas and. But uh, being able to have a positive impact and be, uh, you know, be a positive force in making that, uh, that in, in sort of, you know, making that community be what you think it could be and be what you'd like it to be more of. I think that's what's really exciting for me. So these opportunities to speak, it gets me, it gives me uh, a chance to get in front of like, I don't know, 50 or 100 people and, and hopefully get some of those folks thinking about some of these things. And I think that's really cool. That's really exciting to me. Um, so that's what I'm into. I think that if you are, if you get to a point where you're kind of comfortable talking about things you've worked on and talking about topics that you know about, my experience has been that it is very good for your career. <laughs> Um, mm, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't think I would be where I am no. career-wise yeah. without without me having made the decision to speak at conferences for sure. Yeah, and I did not do that on purpose. I did not say I will establish a brand of myself <laughs> and sell it, and by doing speaking engagements and things like that, I didn't. I really did not try to do that. 
and that's the, I'm not that could be more or less douchey, but it uh, I never really tried to, but I think it was a, a unintended consequence uh, that worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> so uh, so that you know uh, that was a big thing. Um, I just did it because I like doing it. Right. I found for me the big benefit of, of doing um, all these toxic conferences was um, it taught me how to organize my thoughts on things, especially mm. as you move up the chain in your jobs, whatever, you have more responsibility. And then as you're a more senior person, then opportunities come up to like work with other developers. And if you don't know how to string coherent thoughts together to show other people what you've been thinking about and how they can take what you've been doing and apply to what, what they're doing, then um, you end up kind of limiting yourself. I, I found that all these talks means that if my boss says to me and says, hey, Chris, I want you to write up some of your thoughts on how we can move towards continuous deployment, I'm able to use that same thought process that when I'm yeah. building a talk, like I can create a little mini talk in form of, a, in form of an outline because I kind of these days with my talks, I actually, I never used to do this before, but uh, past maybe a year and a half, I actually started doing outlines my talks where I write out all mm -hmm. the points I want to talk about and then I build my slides based on the outline so what did you do before I just used to I I used to literally just sit down with um, keynote open yeah, and right. build the whole talk just in keynote oh, okay with no I would kind of have an idea in my head what I wanted to do mm -hmm. but I would never actually plan it and I found that actually writing down all the steps and doing an outline um, makes the presentations flow a lot better. I spend, yeah. a, I, spend a, I spend a lot less time fiddling with the presentation than when I used to do it the other way where I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this talk, and I would go right into Keynote and start building slides. I know that there's a couple things I'd say. I know that if I have to teach people stuff, I end up learning a lot more about well, it than I did before. That's, like, a, that's, I mean, a, cla that's a classic way to... Right. Um, do a talk. Think of something you're interested in learning about. Propose a talk based on, I've done this, propose oh, yeah. a talk on a topic that I want to learn more about and then if it gets accepted, then you actually have to go and learn enough yep. about that subject um, to give a coherent talk. I, I have absolutely done that. and uh, Thankfully, the people who accepted it uh, uh, did not uh, know that I was just making up, didn't know what I was talking about, but uh, I do think it's the case that 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 uh, um, that that's definitely been been something that I've I've uh, uh, that I've done a few times, um, and even stuff that I sort of knew, I I got better at it because I went through that. And the other thing was giving the same talk several times. Oftentimes, helped me. Home, you know, figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I I get that all the time. Um, it helps me figure out how, how you know how do I explain things to people and how do I get concepts across in a way that they're it's easier for them to understand, easiest for other people to understand. Um, I think a thing that a lot of I think a lot of developers do, and I know I've been guilty of this too, is kind of assuming that. Well, I learn things a certain way so that everybody else is going to learn it that way too, and and um, I think that that is not the case. Uh, I think I think different people tend to learn different ways, but I think there's also some common things you can do to make stuff a lot more understandable for folks. So um, 
most of the people who are coming to a talk that are going to get great things out of a talk that really goes through how did I build this. Uh, those are people who that's that's a way that they learn better is by see watching someone you know explain it like yeah, that. hearing someone talk about it, seeing right. a few examples, uh, getting a chance to get a feedback um, loop with the other person, ask them a question, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so in doing that, I found you know I I sort of was like, how do I explain this? And and then it thought a lot about like, well, what do you know? What do I need to hear about something? And I think the key thing for me is I always tried to show people really simpler examples and 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 actually show myself building it and like tracing through the process because a lot of times people can just kind of just throw stuff code up there and you, know, you kind of get it you kind of don't but like to actually see it working i think is a different kind of deal so i always like to kind of strip away that stuff and try to show really basic stuff and my hope my experience and my hope though <laughs> too is that that um that that makes it easier for people to kind of parse and to figure out what's going on because i i think that there's a i think it could be a tendency to forget that you know, fundamentally, not ever like you need to show people the basics. And a lot of times, um, you know, this is another thing I've gotten out of it is that it made me realize that no, a lot of times I actually did know a fair bit about what I was talking about, and it helped me overcome this feeling that like, no, oh, I'm a fucking idiot and don't know what I'm doing and stuff. And it's a good balance because I realize now, I realize now very well. That there's some things that I'm really good at and I understand well. And there's other things that I don't understand well and other people understand very well. And that's the way that things work, <laughs> right? Um, and that that's totally okay, right? And, 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 uh, and, and that's just, that's just fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, so I find that, uh, that's something I've gotten out a lot of, you know, speaking has helped me a lot in that, in the, in those senses. Um, Yes, I'm wandering probably a little bit now. <laughs> I think it's midnight here, which is 2 a.m. Yeah, it's 2 a.m. for both for of us. us. Yeah, so we're, right. we're almost done, um, I think, for tonight. Um, yeah, like, is it for for people that, uh, that haven't gone to too many conferences or have never spoken at one, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to... to um, get sucked into the idea that you're special because you've been invited to speak. Oh, yeah. and, and I know we talk about this, and this is something that I emphasize to people all the time. I tell them, I'm attending the conference too. I just happen to be giving one of the talks. I'm still there to learn. Um, I'm not being helicoptered in to give my talk and then whisked back by helicopter um, to my next highly paid speaking gig. Yeah. Um, I'm there because I want to be there, and I'm there because I want Because really, if I was just interested in just coming in to give my talk, I would have arranged to fly in on Saturday and come in right. Saturday morning and give my talk Saturday afternoon, yeah. and then Saturday evening catch the red eye um, yeah. back to the Fortress of Grumpitude and be done yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. So for people who are listening, you have to understand, too, like we're attendees, too, and we, we're there to meet people and talk to people and if you're attending one of these conferences, you should never, ever, and I mean this, never, ever feel like the speakers are not approachable. Not at a programming conference. Maybe there's other conferences where where maybe that sort of thing, the speakers are held out to be much different. But I can emphatically state my experiences at technical conferences and at programming conferences, 
the speakers, they want to talk to you too and find out what you're into and if you attended their talk. Like when someone says to me that they enjoyed my talk, um, even though it's like the 400th time that someone has said that to me, still feels good. Still oh, yeah. I feel like I'm getting that, getting the points across. Mm. And, and uh, you know, um, yeah, don't ever feel like you can't talk. To, just because I happen, I was just, the main difference between me and the regular attendees mm-hmm. is that I got my shit together to organize a talk. That I put effort yeah. into organizing all my thoughts in a coherent manner and then convincing the whoever runs the conference that I could deliver something of value. Because conferences need speakers, right. but conferences need attendees as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, if a speaker does a crummy job, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's actually okay to maybe not to tell them to their face with really harsh words, you, but there certainly are there certainly are ways to give feedback to people to say, you know, I, I went to your talk and I didn't get as much out of it as I thought I would. Like, you know what I mean? There's very there, there's th- that feedback loop is also very important for the speakers. Yep. The the speakers need to know that the attendees are gaining value, and the attendees need to know that the speakers are actually paying attention to them too. Because to me, there's nothing worse than a speaker who acts like there's nobody in the room. And they're just going through their routine, right? And they could care less if somebody is actually there. But I've been to a few talks that I feel like the room could have been empty, and mm-hmm. the talk wouldn't have been any different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. Uh, so yes, I've been to a couple of those. Um, I think that I like to hear if an attendee says, "You know what? I wonder if you would have asked." One thing I would have liked to hear about was X, like that. That'd be, and I think that's kind of a way to get feedback where it doesn't seem like it's not. You're not coming out and saying you did this wrong, but it's more like maybe you should. Maybe this would be something I'd be interested in hearing more about. You know, and that that usually gets the speaker thing because typically you don't get feedback. Yeah, I mean, people like it, it seems like. Like we use joined in within the PHP community yep. a lot mm-hmm. as just a place for people to give feedback, but really, the vast majority of the comments are going to be positive ones, and people yep. are like, "Oh, great talk!" And you may get the odd person who's brave enough to say something negative. Yeah, um, I know that I always like feedback, good or bad, on my talks. If they felt I misrepresented something, tell me, and I can go, "Oh, okay. Well, no, I never thought of it that way," or "No, actually, I am right, and here's why." And, yeah, right. Um, because um, like I said, uh, there's before, you know, I give a talk. I want to know that people are getting something out of it. It's like, that's why I feel like that one talk I have to retire. Cause like, I'm almost on autopilot with that talk yeah. and I don't like being on autopilot. I want to be thinking about what I'm saying yep. when I'm delivering the message as well. I don't want to be able to just like, you know, eyes glaze over and I flip some switch and I ramble on and on for 45 minutes. And then any questions? And of course people are afraid to, most people are reluctant to ask questions, and I think my persona that I project online is such that people are even more reluctant to ask me questions because they think I'm, I'm going to snap at them. When I actually don't really, I don't actually really do that. No. Um, when I'm in person on Twitter, sure, but that's because I'm playing a cartoon character mm-hmm. on Twitter. I know. I feel like I have. I keep having to say this. Maybe I should have to stop saying that. No, I'm not in person. What I'm really like on Twitter. I'm not. <laughs> My wife says, "Why do you keep saying that to people?" I said, "Because I feel like they, because I feel like they think I'm really the way that I am." All the sarcastic, caustic comments. Because I'm like, I'm really. I know I've said this before, but I don't think I could, would actually be employable if I was really the way 
I act out on Twitter. Twitter's a good outlet for just doing goofy stuff and talking about things. It is, but, yes. But I think if you ask my handlers at work, I'm not really the way that I am um, on Twitter. Maybe I, we should ask them. I should ask. You could ask them. Um, yeah. I actually do work, um, and I do have my code code reviewed, and mm-hmm. people tell me the shit that I've done wrong, and yep. and I try to accept that with humility and grace instead of flaming them, saying you fuckhead in all caps inside company chat when they reject my, when they say I have a bad code Son. review. Son of a, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? The crumpy programmer. My code is immune to review. Well, Ed, I think because it's like really early in the morning now. Yes, it is. For you oh my I, gosh. Um, two in the morning for us. And wake up time is at, well, we have to be down for the shuttle at 9.30 in the morning for us. Mm-hmm. 7.30 here. So at least we'll be able to get a little bit of sleep. I should probably think about the talk I'm supposed to give tomorrow. <laughs> what do you mean? You already know what you're doing. More yeah. code, more problems, right? Yeah. There's the a couple biggie smallest talk. Mo code, mo problems. Mo yeah, I know. I should. Uh, there's a couple things I could clean up on that. My slides are all done. Uh, I completely read that too. Look at you. I know. It's, I, I always. My wife is always amazed that my slides are done when I go. She go to conferences. She's like, "Why?" Because so, that way I can go and enjoy myself. I am not one of these people like that likes t- uh, tweaking the slides at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So Ed, I think we've got. <coughs> We've gotten to the end of another episode. Thanks so much to our sponsors, uh, Engine Yard, yes. fine, fine purveyors of platform as a service. Run your code in a scalable sandbox, whether it be Ruby, Node.js, or thanks to our boys, uh, Eamon Leonard and uh, Helgi and David Collier, and then a bunch of other guys who I've only briefly met but don't actually know. Yes. Um, who are handling all the PHP stuff. And mm-hmm. thanks to Paul Reinheimer and his buddy Will from the Wonder Network. Yes. Um, so this has been episode number 39 of the Development Hell Podcast. You can find us online at devhell.info. Every single episode um, with archives of all the podcasts plus show notes. Um, the It's available via iTunes if you want to subscribe to us that way. And uh, We say this every episode. Please, please, please rate the episodes. Tell us the things that you like, what we've been doing. Tell us what you don't like so we can make sure that um, so that if we know a particular topic you guys are going to hate it, we can really give it all the venom that it deserves. Um, normally we're on um, Freenode uh, every night that we mm-hmm. record so people can come on to Freenode in the DevHell channel and uh, talk to us. And we do talk to people during the show and we like to get feedback. You can find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me, Grumpy Programmer, without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Um, thanks uh, so much uh, for joining us tonight. And this was kind of nice to do a more informal one where we're actually in person. It's so rare that Ed and I are in the same place um, at the same time. Um, so for those of us, uh, for those of you who are listening to this after Ski Ski PHP, I hope you had a good time at the conference. Again, we encourage people to come out to conferences. It's a great way to meet like-minded people. Don't be afraid. There's people here who are just as scared shitless as you are. Absolutely. So so thanks, everyone, um, uh, and have a good night. Good night. Good night, Internet.